be seated. You could take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8, as we look at verses 28 through 30. Not a very lengthy passage this morning, but very powerful words, very comforting words throughout the centuries to many, many Christians. If I could summarize these three verses, which are embedded in Romans 8, as Paul outlines the activity of God's Holy Spirit through good times and bad times, if I could put all this in a nutshell in these verses, it would be this. God is working in the lives of His children to conform them to the image of His Son, Jesus, and to dwell with Him forever. God is working in your life as His child to conform you to the image of His Son, Jesus, so that you will dwell with Him and enjoy Him forever. And there's only two things I want to point out this morning in connection to this synopsis of the message. Number one, God's activity in our lives, and I believe we'll see that in verse 28. And then secondly, God's purpose for our lives. And that we'll see in verses 29 and 30. So let's pray and ask the Lord to bless us with His Spirit and reveal many good things to us as we study His Word together this morning. Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might be pleasing in Your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Father, we pray that Your Holy Spirit would be our Master Teacher, and that, Lord, you would help all of us to stop and pause and to listen carefully to what the Spirit says to the church, both corporately and individually, in our lives. So, Lord, move amongst us now. Lead us into all truth. And apply your truth to our hearts and lives as you see fit to do so, according to your good pleasure. Make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, I want you to notice God's activity in our lives in verse 28. Paul says, We know that God is at work. God is at work, accomplishing His purposes and plans. And Scripture is clear concerning that. Jesus Himself in John 5, verse 17 says, my Father is working until now, and I myself am working. And who could forget what Paul said in Philippians 1, verse 6? I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. God is at work in the lives, in the circumstances of every child of his. And you can have the rock solid assurance that this is true based upon his infallible word. Furthermore, scripture is clear, and as it expresses Jesus' oversight of and involvement in everything, including my circumstances. Listen to the words of Colossians 1 15 through 17. Paul says, For by him, that is Jesus, 
all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. And verse 17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together in Christ. What that means essentially is nothing really ultimately makes sense apart from Christ. He is the centerpiece of all human history. His person and his work has been done for our benefit. And he gives us this promise here that he is working good things for us in all that he does. So we know God is at work, and we know God is at work in all things. We need to avoid the tendency of our sinful nature to change this all things into some things or many things. We have a tendency to do that if not in life experience alone. We're going through life and we're telling ourselves God is sovereign over everything until something really bad happens. And then we almost act as if God is not in control of anything. No, He's in control of all things. And given the context of these verses, those all things must include the sufferings of verse 17 and the groanings of verse 23, which we have studied in the past. We live this Christian life, we have suffering and we have groaning because we're not at home. Things are not right. We are sinners and everyone we live around is a sinner. And that makes life difficult. Paul is saying that all that appears to be negative in this life ultimately has a positive purpose in the execution of God's plan. You know, the Heidelberg Catechism affirms this in question 27, quote, every form of prosperity and affliction comes to us not by chance, but from God's fatherly hand. The great 4th century Christian Augustine said, quote, the will of God is the necessity of all things. Now we see a picture of this in the life of Joseph in our Old Testament reading for this morning. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was pursued by Potiphar's wife. He was thrown in jail in Egypt and left for dead over two years. And finally he was delivered. And he says in that passage, towards the end of his life. You, my brothers, meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. All of these horrible things I went through. What was the ultimate end? God would deliver a people. He would save a people from starvation and famine. All things work together for the good of those who are called by God. Those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, we need to determine or identify or define the word good. It's important to us to make sure that we are accurate when we talk about what is good. 
Unfortunately, as human beings, we're prone to lose sight of God's ultimate purposes when we experience difficulty or dire circumstances. And even worse, we typically spend much time interpreting our standing with God based on our present circumstances. Isn't that so? A woman says, my husband left me. God must not love me. I lost a child, so God must be punishing me for something. What did I do to deserve this diagnosis? My life was going fine until I went to the doctor and something hidden was uncovered. And now everything has fallen apart. I'm single and I desperately want to marry. Does God care? As I continue to pray for a mate and I see no answer. I'm unemployed, and I continue to pray for work, but it seems like my prayers for a new job do absolutely nothing. I've been abused and mistreated. God must not love me. Or I had a child that was abused and mistreated by another. How does this demonstrate the abundant life, Lord? You see, so often we have a very limited definition of what is good because we don't see the big picture. What is good is determined by two things that Paul mentions in this verse, our identity and God's purpose. First of all, our identity. All things work together for the good of those who love God. God has called every Christian, and we love God because he first loved us. John says in his first epistle, the love of God was shed abroad in our hearts. But also God's purpose. Those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. And we need to remember that we as Christians no longer live for ourselves, but for the will of the Lord. That's exactly what scripture makes clear. We affirm it every Sunday when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in heaven. So often when I think of the word good, all things work together for the good of those who love God, I can picture myself in a fancy restaurant, you know, with a menu. And I'm going through that menu saying now, and the Lord is the head waiter, you know, and I'm saying, Lord, uh, I'd like one of these. That would be good. And two or three of these would really be good. You know? And I would love for this to happen. That would be wonderful. That's what good is, isn't it? No, we're called to die to ourselves and become alive in Christ. In fact, we become new creatures in Christ, yielding and submitting to Him and His living inside of us and leading us and guiding our lives. That's what Paul meant in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see what Paul's saying? The Christian life is essentially submitting and yielding to Jesus as he lives his life through you. It takes I, me, myself out of the picture. 
We die to what we believe is good. And we see the ultimate good, that God is working out His purposes to conform me to the image of His Son. And to make me ready to enjoy His presence, literally, for eternity. Paul said, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. And so you see, whenever we think about good, we have to go beyond what is temporal. We have to go beyond what is superficial in this life. We have to look at the ultimate good. And Paul's going to explain that for us when he talks about God's purpose. But for now, remember something. That when dark days come and bad things happen, that it is not something that escapes God's notice. He is at work in your life, even when the dark days come. I remember living in Deland, Florida, serving a church up there many years ago, and we had a young couple in our church, and we were good friends with them, and they found this perfect house. It had just been built. It was a brand new home, and we went there to see it with them, and they were so excited and happy, and I said, well, how did you discover this house? I mean, obviously, somebody just built it. And he said, well, it's a tough story. This man and this woman had worked all their lives. They had retired and finally looked forward to getting some rest and doing those things that people enjoy doing when retired. And as they were building this brand new house, he died of a heart attack. And the woman was devastated, obviously. She didn't want to move into this house. And so she finished it and put it on the market. There's some horrible things that happen in life. And if we look at them in a short-sighted manner, if we don't see the greatness of our God, when those things happen, we will misinterpret circumstances. And we will start saying, my worth is rooted in these awful circumstances. And then make conclusions that are erroneous about God's love for us or His concern. Look at the greatness of your God. Isaiah 45, verses 6 and 7, that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Isaiah 46, 9-11, I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. In Isaiah 55, 8 and 9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, declared the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. You see, when we start to try to interpret our circumstances in life, it's already a disaster. Because our minds are not like God's. He's so far beyond us. And yet He loves 
us so very much. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 12, verse 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet none of them is forgotten before God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Our love for God is a sign and a token of His prior love for us, which manifests in God's eternal purpose and His historic call to us. And so God is saving, or God has a saving purpose and is working by it. Because of this, life is not a random mess that it may sometime appear to be. Isn't that so? All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Now, the only way that you will not interpret your circumstances is to stay close to God. Close to God. The words of Psalm 73, 28 come to mind. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So that when you're walking with the Lord and you're experiencing that close communion with Him in prayer and studying His Word, now the good in your life is His closeness, your intimacy with Him. Because nothing can shake that. And when you're walking with the Lord, you realize and trust Him that He is so far beyond my understanding. He is so far beyond the created order. And yet, every day was outlined for me before it came to pass, says the psalmist. That's how stable and secure His love is for you. And that's why He calls us to live by faith. That we would cling to Him. That we would know the Lord Jesus intimately. As one of the selections this morning, that we would turn our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Because what He starts, ladies and gentlemen, he always finishes. What's going on in your life? Are you delighting in the nearness of God? Is He growing your faith at this time? Are you recognizing that your definition of good and your definition of things working out may not be God's? I'm sure Joseph had great plans for his life and the things that happened to him he never really understood until he saw how God was using him to be a blessing to others. If you look at the circumstances of the life of the Lord Jesus, you see nothing but a failure. He was despised and forsaken by men, a man acquainted with sorrows and grief. He never deserved any of the bad treatment that he received. On the contrary, he deserved so much more. But he lived and he died and was hated and put to death on a cross. 
And as men meant it for evil, God Almighty meant it for good. And all those circumstances could not be changed because they were forever settled in heaven. Now this ought to help us pause. This ought to help us seek God's face, especially when we're going through difficult, trying circumstances. It's easy to praise the Lord when things are going well in your life, in your marriage, in your family. But what happens when a child departs from the faith? What happens when there's a rupture in your relationship, your marriage? Then we can begin to question. God is at work in your life. Please do not forget that this morning. And he is working out that which is good according to his good pleasure and that which benefits you. And see, what Paul does is he explains that purpose in verse 29 through 30. We call this the golden chain of salvation. And he presents five stages here. Foreknowledge and predestination, calling, justification, and glorification. He elaborates on what he meant in verse 28 by God's purpose. And he traces God's good and saving purposes through these five stages. First of all, foreknowledge. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. The word means to set one's affections upon in advance. See, the Hebrew word to know expresses much more than just mere intellectual cognition. The Bible doesn't teach that God uh, sees things happen in advance, and therefore he acts upon them. No! The meaning of foreknowledge is that he sets his affections upon some in advance. Foreknowledge is sovereign, distinguishing love. This fits with Moses' great statement, The Lord did not set his affections upon you, meaning the Israelites, and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you. That's why he chose the Israelites, and that's why he chose you. He predestined. The word or the verb predestined translates prorizo, which means to decide upon beforehand. As in Acts 4.28, when the disciples returned, after being harassed for preaching the gospel, they said, quote, This they did, what your power and your will decided beforehand should happen. We read a little bit about it in John 17 this morning, our gospel reading. Jesus said, even as you gave him, that is Jesus himself, authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. And so he foreordains, he sets his affections upon us, he predestines us to be what? Conformed to the image of his Son. That is God's great purpose in your life. It is not for us to be happy. It is not for us to pursue life. It is not for us to find our own purpose. It is to conform to the image of Christ. And you want a purpose-filled life. If you submit to the Lord Jesus and fix your eyes upon him, his beauty, his glory, his majesty, and you serve him daily, and you have communion with him, and your attitude is the nearness of God is my good. 
Watch what happens. There's foreknowledge, there's predestination, there's calling. What Paul means by calling here is not the general gospel invitation, but the divine summons, which raises the spiritually dead to life. Whenever the gospel is preached, the Holy Spirit opens hearts. God's universal call to the gospel becomes effectual in the heart of his elect. And he brings them into the kingdom. And then justification. We've already spent considerable time studying that. It is the declaration that we sinners are now righteous in God's sight because of his conferment upon us of a righteous status, which is indeed the righteousness of Christ himself. And finally, glorification. Our destiny is to be given new bodies in a new world, both of which will be transfigured by the glory of God. And you'll notice it's in the past tense. Why is this in the past tense? Because it's already done in the mind of a sovereign God. We stand glorified already. We just don't see it yet. And that's why we ought to treat one another as treasures and love each other. Because when you're standing in front of a fellow believer, you're standing in front of a glorified saint. You just can't see the full measure of that glory yet. And all these stages remind us of God's ultimate eternal purpose for our lives. He is conforming us to the image of His Son. He is preparing us to enjoy His literal presence forever. And ladies and gentlemen, we must begin to enjoy His presence now spiritually if we're to enjoy the full measure of His presence for all eternity. The question before the house this morning, is the nearness of God my gift? When I am meeting with the Lord and reading His Word and in prayer, and I sense His presence in my life, and I know that I'm filled with the Holy Spirit because I chase after and love all the fruits of the Spirit that seem to be coming out of my life. And I feel patient with the Lord and with people around me. I feel a sense of love. I feel a sense of selflessness. You see, when you're meeting with God like that, and you're hungering and thirsting for His presence, as the psalmist said in Psalm 42, as the deer pants for water, so my soul pants for Thee, O God. Then you're saying, in essence, the nearness of God is my good. And if the nearness of God is your good, it doesn't really matter what happens. Because He will be with you when you're rejoicing, and He will be with you when you're suffering. And ultimately, that is all that matters. God works together for the good of those who love Him, those who are called according to His purpose. Have you heard the call of God? Have you heard the call of God spiritually in your heart where you looked at the life of the Lord Jesus, where you fixed your eyes upon Him and saw in Him all the wisdom of God and the love of God, and you submit your life to Him? Have you done that? Have you experienced the joy of the nearness of God as your good in life? If you haven't, I invite you to invite Him, the Lord Jesus.
into your heart and life. Submit yourself to him. Follow him in obedience. And begin already to enter the joy of your master. Now, presently. And in the day when he returns. Or we go to be with him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, life has so many twists and turns. Lord, I pray that every one of us could say from the heart, the nearness of God is my good. And that, Lord, you would continue to work out your purposes in the good times and in the bad times. And remind us that you are disciplining us and making us fit for heaven. Lord, help us to take hold of your presence now, spiritually that we may enjoy it in its full measure when we meet with you physically. Come, Lord Jesus. Do all these things and more. And give us the confident assurance that you are indeed working in our lives for that which is good concerning us and concerning your glory and plan. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.